A subject that does not get talked about nearly as much as it needs to in the black community is the infant mortality rate. For black people, it is higher among us than it is for any other group. And it's not because black children are just predisposed to die more than any other child. It doesn't get talked about nearly as much as it should, mainly because it's ignored by the white media and the medical establishment, who treats it as normal. But it's not normal at all. This was Micah Khalid Logan. He was born on October 25th, 2021. He was named after Micah Johnson and Khalid Muhammad. The family intended to raise a warrior and a scholar, and they did. The boy was fighting literally from the day he was born. The child had experienced respiratory distress at birth, but after a stay in the NICU, he was allowed to go home. Several months passed without incident. But on September 4th of last year, he was back in the hospital after a radiological exam confirmed that he had a gallstone lodged in his common bile duct. Bile is produced in the liver for the purpose of breaking down fats, and it's crucial to the digestive process. Bile passes from the liver into the gallbladder through a series of channels called the bile ducts. When the bile ducts are blocked, it causes health problems. A common procedure used to treat this condition is endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography or ERCP for short. A catheter with a scope attached is inserted into the affected bile duct and the stone is removed. Anytime a medical procedure is performed, there's always a chance of some complication occurring. According to the National Institute of Health's website, the post-surgery complication rate for ERCP is approximately 7%. And of that 7%, about one in four is severe. That means a little under 2% of these procedures have severe complications, according to the US government's own website. Little Micah's parents signed the standard consent form saying that they understand that there are risks involved with this kind of procedure. Though it needs to be said that whenever people sign these forms, they're doing it largely because the hospital makes it clear they're not going to perform any sort of procedure without it. So it's not exactly like you have a choice. Like any parent whose child is facing a health concern, you're going to sign the papers no matter what you think of them. That's just a reality. In this case, the procedure involves putting the child under anesthesia. But fatalities are rare for this procedure, and the family was assured that the staff performing the procedure were among the best in the country, so they weren't worried. This is the last photo taken of little Micah Khalid Logan alive. His father sent it to me. It was taken at the hospital right before he handed his son over to the hospital staff for the procedure. The family waited, and then they received the news that too many black families have gotten too many times. Something had gone wrong after the procedure, because five minutes later, the baby had gone into respiratory distress and died. I've been in communication with the father. The medical examiner's report is supposed to be completed by the end of May. That would be nine months after this baby's death. The family has been demanding answers all along, but it's been tough going. They're demanding all the information that the hospital has on this incident. How could a routine surgery with a child who was, when he was admitted, not in any sort of respiratory distress, have resulted in his suddenly not being able to breathe and then dying after what the family says they were told was a successful operation. Transparency is what's called for here. Complete and thorough transparency. The family demands it. But instead, there's just been one wall after the other. It's clear that the family is not at all satisfied with what the hospital has told them which has been precious little, by the way. And it needs to be said that at this point, the family doesn't trust them and doesn't believe them. They've had to bury their baby.
something that no family should ever have to endure. And on top of that, the indescribable frustration of not knowing why. Now the hospital will no doubt claim that they did their best and it's no fault of theirs, but the family has not been able to get answers and what little they've been told has been anything but satisfactory. Since then, they've sought out legal counsel, but so far lawyers have been reluctant to take up the case. They want to see the Emmys report because it may totally support the hospital's side. From a lawyer's standpoint, that is understandable, but my question is this. What if the medical examiner's report doesn't support the hospital's version of the events? What then? The infant mortality rate for black babies in the U.S. is the highest of any group. Things that most all non-black babies walk away from find black babies wind up dead from, and nobody ever seems able to explain why. Fewer seem to care. And these things keep happening with no apparent answers from the medical authorities, no matter how hard the parents push for those answers. A few months before the tragedy that struck the Logans, another black couple, this time in Charleston, South Carolina, suffered the same fate. They brought their three-year-old son, Owen Fields, to a pediatric dentist because the child suffered from childhood caries, basically cavities, and the physicians wanted to replace his front teeth with crowns. The boy was put under anesthesia for the procedure. Thirty minutes later, the child was taken out of the operating room to recovery. The dentist noticed the toddler was crying and tried to pull the oxygen mask from his face. He then went into respiratory distress. Seven minutes later, he was dead. There were also serious questions in that boy's death as well, because a quarter million children undergo the procedure every single year with few complications. In the case of Owen Fields, his older brother had undergone dental anesthesia with no problems. But most disturbing of all was that the surgery center didn't report little Owen's death, which is required under state law. South Carolina's State Law Enforcement Division has been investigating that death. This is why figures and information regarding black infant mortality is often so tricky to compile, because the information is either not reported correctly or just isn't reported at all, which seems to be the case with all information about black life, from criminal cases to education to income to causes of death. I haven't been able to find any follow-up information on what became of the investigation into little Owen's death. It seems other than one story, nobody in the white media thinks it's newsworthy. And our so-called black politicians are too busy trying to climb the political ladder to care. Well, we've got to care. Just last month, the CDC reported that deaths for black infants and mothers was rising. I'll bet. But when has the death rate for black babies and their mothers ever been low? This has been going on for over a century now, and rather than treating it as the crisis that it is, instead it's totally ignored. When it comes to black babies' deaths, the medical establishment and the white media routinely tell us that there must have been some sort of pre-existing condition at work. The same thing we hear time and again whenever a black person dies at the hands of the police. From Eric Garner to Elijah McClain, we keep hearing that there must have been some sort of pre-existing condition to blame. When demanded to substantiate these dismissals, the answers black families get is silence. Too many times, black babies and their mothers go into hospitals alive, with no breathing or cardiac problems at the time of admission, only to then suddenly go into cardiac arrest. Or in the case of black mothers, they were released to go home even though they complained of pain or some other symptom, and they shortly thereafter die. And the families never get any answers. The state doesn't bring its power to bear, and attorneys are reluctant, if not opposed, to representing the family's interests. These processes and procedures are safe and routine, and have very few complications, even fewer fatalities for everyone else. 
So why is it that black babies who have the exact same biology and physiology as everyone else has the highest mortality rate from things that other groups don't routinely die from? What the Logans want is the truth and accountability. They have at least one other child who will now grow up without her younger brother. But we don't want that little girl to grow up without any answers either. What the family is looking for is to be put in contact with an attorney, preferably one based in Texas, who would be qualified to represent them. If you're aware of any capable lawyers with experience in these sorts of cases, I'm sure the Logans would be very appreciative if you pass that information along. I put the Twitter account for Micah's father in the description of this video. We can't allow these things to simply be treated as unsolved mysteries. We're told time and again to accept that there are risks to these procedures, but when black babies die at a rate far higher than anyone else, that is unacceptable. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. I know this probably isn't going to be the most feel-good way to start the week, but the purpose of these morning briefings isn't to make you smile, it's to keep you focused. And there's few things I can think of more sobering than the deaths of babies. The black infant mortality rate is the highest of any group, and it's for that reason that we have to discuss it. A lot of you have posted comments in response to last night's Sunday address saying that we must have more black doctors. Agreed. That would certainly help. But it doesn't help to have black doctors if they show the same contempt for black life as their white suburbs' counterparts. Even the white media has been forced to admit that the black infant mortality rate is the result of race. Now, they've tried to go ahead and sprinkle some sugar on it, but nonetheless, they have to say that the mortality rate for black babies is cut dramatically simply by having a black physician care for them, with the mortality rate dropping by as much as 50% under those circumstances. This has been documented and reported by the white media. So the difference isn't medications or different types of tests or the parent's level of income or education. The difference is simply having a black healthcare provider caring for that baby. Now, of course, being the white media, they can't tell the whole truth. They wouldn't be the white media if they did. So in this case, the Washington Post tries to put up some phony doubt. They try to throw some sugar on this garbage and say that, well, the research found an association, but not a cause and effect. Sure, because a 50% drop in the mortality rate for black babies under black physicians' care, that's just a coincidence. See, if something happens once, it's a phenomenon. If it happens twice, then it's a coincidence. But when something happens consistently, at least 50% of the time, that is a significant factor. But, of course, black people are the targets of a perpetual race war, and in war, truth is the first casualty. So, of course, the white media is going to tell two lies for every fact that they're forced to report. They expect us to pretend that a 50% drop in black infant deaths is some sort of confusing phenomenon, and that there's no real explanation for it. Because, of course, to simply accept the facts means that all these dead black babies aren't happening by chance. They're not happening by accident. It's not the result of training. White supremacist's favorite catch-all excuse. 
But to admit that there is a clear racial component to all of this, why? That's something that simply cannot be said. That would simply be too disturbing for the Washington Post or any other white media outlet to simply come out and say. So instead, we get this charade. Placing a black child in the hands of a non-black physician makes the chances of that child dying rise dramatically. This is medical apartheid, and it proves that the death rate of black infants isn't some unfortunate circumstance, not a coincidence. Now we hear from these right-wing racists all the time that black college graduates simply aren't as skilled or qualified, etc., as their white counterparts. Well, we know that's false. The white media spent decades, ever since the 60s, trying to justify ethnically cleansing the universities of black students. And to do it, they pushed all kinds of lies, like the one about every black student who gets a seat in college. Well, that's a seat that a white student should have gotten. And they use these lies to lay the groundwork for their lawsuits in the 1990s attacking affirmative action, which was nothing more than a clumsy front for purging all black students from America's collegiate student body, regardless of how they got admitted. Well, it's time to ask how good a job the black graduates did compared with their non-black counterparts, and the results are in. Black physicians do a superior job, especially when it comes to black infants. Because all of these other doctors and nurses who the white right told us were so much more qualified than the black ones, they're the ones who the black babies are dying in the hands of. But none of them gets punished. None of them loses their licenses. None of them gets prosecuted. And of course, the white right is not on some holy war jihad crusade to try to make sure that all of these unqualified doctors don't get to practice medicine. Because this is not about qualifications or college admissions. This is about control of the society. After this Washington Post piece ran, the next question should be, why is it that there was not a tsunami of malpractice lawsuits flying left, right, and center? Well, that's hard to do because in order to prove malpractice, you have to get a physician in the same field who is willing to say under oath that what the non-black doctors did was wrong and contributed to, if not caused, the black baby's death. And since not many are willing to do that, these baby killers are allowed to remain right where they are looking for their next victims. We need to be bluntly honest. There are a number of rapists and even serial killers operating out of these hospitals under the guise of being physicians. They commit their crimes while putting their patients under anesthesia or by performing procedures that the patient didn't need. But mostly, they commit their crimes by denying black people who came to them for medical care the very care they demanded. In every state, and certainly in every large city, there is one, if not a number, of hospitals that are notorious for routinely having black people come there alive and leave very shortly thereafter dead. You have a lot of racist doctors who hide behind their medical degrees the same way the police hide behind their badges. And like the racist cops, these racist doctors have been allowed to get away with murder by claiming that we should all simply take their word for it that they didn't kill the black person who lies dead in their hospital. There's bodies of case law meant to insulate these crooked doctors from punishment, same way we've seen the law try to protect police with so-called qualified immunity and other legal fictions. But just like with the police, if we focus light on this medical apartheid and the mountain of dead black bodies it's produced, the bureaucratic wall they built to allow them to harm black people without consequence can be brought down. The killers in lab coats can be made to answer for their crimes. Now, that said, there is something else that needs to be noted here, and I know it's going to sound demoralizing, maybe even a little contradictory, but it needs to be said. While having a black doctor is the best way to minimize the chances of some racist with a medical degree harming your child, 
We must keep in mind there's a number of black people working in the medical field, many of them who come from abroad, who are silent while all this is going on, and in a number of cases, perhaps even complicit. Keep in mind, the reason the Tuskegee experiments were able to happen was because they used a black nurse, Eunice Rivers, as their go-between so that the white supremacists who set up that genocidal exercise could lull their black victims into a false sense of security. Keep in mind, for those of you who may not know, there's been a cure for syphilis since at least the 1920s. It was put into wide use in the 1940s. The Tuskegee experiments, which was actually a genocide, was started in the 1930s, and it continued all the way up until the 1970s. It wasn't some brief aberration. It wasn't some bad luck accident. It wasn't the result of a temporary oversight. This wasn't a case of one or two bad doctors who were doing some unauthorized criminality that nobody knew about. This was going on from the Great Depression all the way up until Nixon was about to get kicked out of office. It started before World War II and didn't stop until almost the end of the Vietnam War. So, who got punished for the Tuskegee experiments? Nobody. They didn't even bother to try to make Eunice Rivers into a fall guy. The problem wasn't that they didn't know what the effects of syphilis were. The entire reason that they worked to make a cure for it was precisely because they knew exactly what it did. The Tuskegee experiment was not scientific inquiry. It was just another in an endless parade of anti-black sadistic warfare against us. My goal in pointing this out isn't to get you to mistrust black doctors. My point is to help you understand that simply having a black caregiver standing in front of you may not be enough. If you have a black caregiver who's taken on a white supremacist mindset where black patients are concerned, or who has a bootlick mentality, they can be just as dangerous as any racist white supremacist with a lab coat. You gotta watch these folks who are coming out of these racist universities, medical schools, or out of these community colleges and such. You also gotta watch a number of these folks who are coming from overseas. This is heavy stuff, I know, but not as heavy as a black baby's casket. Part of why we need reparations is due to the nonstop hyper-aggressive medical warfare that's been waged against us and continues to be. We require black doctors because these white supremacists in these hospitals are allowed to orchestrate our deaths with impunity. When you see the white media simultaneously talking out of both sides of its mouth, in one breath saying that black babies are more likely to live in the hands of black doctors and then turning right around and saying, well, that doesn't mean that there's a cause and effect. That's not some harmless omission on their part. It's them doing their job as the propaganda arm of white supremacy. First, they try to convince you that you didn't see what you clearly see happening. Then they say, well, if you saw it, it's not very often and you're just being paranoid. Finally, they admit that it is happening, and it's as bad as you said it was. In fact, it's actually worse, but it's not happening for the reasons you say it is. This is the white media equivalent of playing keep away with the truth. Well, I say we should stop playing along. Some people think it's a cliche to say the children are the future, but actually it's a redundancy. Of course children are the future. And history has shown that a people who do not protect their babies are a people who will have no future. We need more doctors, a lot more. We also need funding for those black doctors to have their own medical practices with sufficient up-to-date equipment. Reparations is about getting the check that we are owed individually, but it also encompasses much more, such as the industrial, educational, and medical infrastructure that we have been systematically deprived of for so long, an infrastructure that we require because we have been categorically denied these things at our expense 
at the expense of our health, at the expense of our longevity, and at the expense of our lives, and those of our babies. And that is a sin that can never be forgiven. I'm no medical doctor, but you don't have to be to see that the reason so many black people live sicker and die younger than everyone else is because we are being systematically denied health care. And it's not by accident, it's by design. And that won't change until the medical status quo in this country fundamentally changes. That means we have to get rid of the white supremacists and the white lab coats and their flunkies and replace them with actual doctors who are there to heal patients and not to use the doctor's office as a slaughterhouse with fluorescent lights. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Lisa Cabrera, Stay Positive, Dee Tubman, Andrew Murphy, and Daryl Bledsoe. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. War. China knows we're at war and the American government knows we are at war. But they are not telling you the same fact. In preparation to go to war with China, a war planning process was conducted by the House of Representatives Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party in the Washington Think Tank Center for a New American Security. This process revealed that the U.S. military will be unable to resupply Taiwan with enough weapons and equipment to hold back China once the Chinese invasion begins. This is why we are starting to see America actually move our service people toward the Asia-Pacific region because they know that they need to be at that spot the moment that China goes to war. And from our perspective, it gives you and I a basically an inclination to how close we are to this part of World War III. Now, this exercise was showing a potential invasion by China, highlighting the urgent need right now at this moment, according to those involved in the process, with arming the island nation to the teeth before the day that the conflict starts. You have to remember that China right now is sending warplanes daily over Taiwan, toward the Taiwan Strait, around the Asia-Indo-Pacific region. The Americans and American allies are trying to build basically a Pacific NATO called uh, the Countries for a Free and Open Indo-Pacific, which will be a policing force that is Western-driven. China has said that any of anyone trying to infringe on their sovereignty or their territorial integrity will face the damnation of the international community and the Chinese people, as well as nuclear weapons. They have said that they have moved away from what used to be a defensive-only nuclear position toward one that holds on to their sovereignty. Here we have two countries, China and Russia, both rewriting the future of our world. They've made a new economic world order, and they've done this by saying a new currency will exist from BRICS countries that is backed by gold and other commodities. They have made a new geopolitical world order by taking away the dependency of other countries on the United States of America. In the future, the history books will show that America's attempt to sanction Russia will be seen as one of the pivotal parts of driving countries away from what they used to fear, and that was a black eye given by America. 
They used to be afraid that anytime America and the American allies looked on them with any sort of condemnation or any sort of uh, negativity, they would get sanctioned, all of their money would go away, they would have an administrative or a regime change, but this is no longer the case. And in fact, it showed that the American police force, the Western-driven police force and that of NATO, is one that has more bark than bite. The U.S. has been concerned about the possibility for years now of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan and what that means for our country because your Walmart will be empty. Your grocery store will be lacking. Your supply chain will be severely disrupted. All of the things that you saw during COVID, people knifing each other over toilet paper, people being scared about their future, that's going to rise right back to the top of humanity the moment that China moves on Taiwan. The Americans say that to deter this attack, one Republican, Mike Gallagher, warned that Washington must clear a $19 billion weapons backlog for Taiwan. The U.S. military must conduct enhanced joint military training and reinforce U.S. military positions in all of the region. Now, this is, of course, a lot of out-in-the-open geopolitical speak that you'll see in publicized reports and uh, news outlets. What's actually happening behind the scenes is what we're being warned about by active duty service people and their family members right here on this channel, that they, they are preparing at this moment in time to go to war against China. In fact, the United States government has been in the process and continues to be in the process of showing China just how deadly a conflict with America will be because they made basically a rogue Chinese warship that they're putting out there in the Pacific and the U.S. government is going to use it basically for target practice. This is like you taking your most hated enemy's picture down to the shooting range with him, maybe televising it or putting it on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube Live, their picture down at the range, you loading up your projecti uh, you know, your kinetic projectile tool and unloading every single bit of ammo that you have at it. That's what America is doing, saying, look, we know your warships are there. We know we're going to go to war. And this is what's going to happen to you, China, the moment this takes place. China basically doesn't care because Taiwan is so close to China and in fact was a part of China. So China says this is ours. This is part of our sovereignty, our territorial integrity, and it will be reabsorbed as part of all of the East. The war games results for the American government indicate that once a conflict starts with China, the U.S. will have no ability to provide Taiwan with necessary military support. They say several logistical challenges exist that make it basically impossible. What China will do at that moment is set up a complete embargo. You won't see any ships moving from the Asian Pacific region toward the United States of America or toward any country that aligns itself with America. What's going to happen is basically what happened with Russia and oil. You had all of these international independent contracting ships that basically had to say, well, we're going to take it over to here or we're going to take it over to this country, bypassing the sanctions. And that's the only way you're going to continue to get Chinese or Asia Pacific goods to American shelves. Now, the shock of what's going to happen there is going to be absolutely magnificent. It's going to be paramount, awesome in the true sense of that it will draw all among the people who see it.
your store shelves will have some limited amounts of things from China. You know how you can go to the $1.25 store right now. You can go to Walmart, you can go to these places, and you can pick up generally cheaper goods that are made in China. The flip will be switched there, and you're going to be purchasing those goods for 100, 200, 300% more. This is going to diminish the amount of people who can purchase these goods. And basically, you're going to see hyperinflation exist immediately. Now, what happened with these government war preparations is they underscored what they call an urgency for the U.S. to get ready for what's happening because they all know it's going to happen. Remember, two years ago, we saw U.S. military personnel saying that, don't worry, it's going to be 2029, 2035, 2043 before China moves on Taiwan. Now they're saying it could happen this week, next month. They have no idea, and they're being open with these admissions, whereas before they said it's basically a no deal, a no, no big deal. Now, addition, in addition to arming Taiwan, this war preparation by the U.S. government stresses the need for the USA to increase production of long-range missiles and prepare the country for economic fallout that is going to result from a conflict with China. You're going to work? No. Instead, it's going to be very World War I, World War II economy. You're going to see people enlisted by government contract to make ammunition, make food, distribute goods among the population. It's going to be something unlike what you have ever experienced in all likelihood, unless maybe you came from a country that was under wartime, uh, you know, a, a wartime economy. This is going to be a world that is unlike anything that you know. You are going to see gangs of individuals basically taking over the semi-trucks. You remember the semi-truck thefts that we started to experience during the 2007 through 2009 financial crisis. I remember a couple in particular in which we saw food being taken by gangs and distributed among the affiliated population. You're going to see that, but for everything from medicine to uh, food, of course, to ammunition, to uh, anything that is being produced in a wartime economy. That means you're going to see massive amounts of uh, weapons and things on the streets. You're going to see a different black market exist, and you need to know how to navigate that black market. Now, in our Patreon cards, we have talked recently about how to uh, basically disguise your goods to be able to get them beyond a point of checking, a checkpoint. We have talked about how to navigate black markets, keeping overwatch positions, basically never make sure that no one is ever able to get to your location after making a trade in a black market. Because a lot of times what will happen, and this happens right now around the world, is you'll go somewhere, make a generally high price ticket purchase, then those individuals, the sellers, will have their own overwatch position. That overwatch will see you make that purchase and from a distance, follow you to wherever you're going. Now in times of tourism, that's a lot of times an Airbnb or a person's hotel, and they're going to knock you and take it at that point. So you need to have your own similar opposing position where people are watching the conveyance of goods, they're watching the trade, they're watching the people watching you, and they watch you as you make your uh, exit. Now, at what point you decide this was good enough and you get to your location and you can let your guard down, that's a fallacy. You cannot let your guard down. As soon as China goes to war, as soon as America recognizes that we're in war with Russia, 
It's time for you to up your game at every single level. We're already seeing crime skyrocket. In fact, recently I had a, uh, a police detective leave their card on, on my front door and I gave them a call and they said, well, we know you have cameras and we wanted to see if you caught this uh, string of burglaries that was happening in your area. And if you saw the cars that were hit because these groups are coming through, they're knocking the windows open, they're taking whatever's good there. It is so quick when you are a skilled criminal to take your flashlight in the early morning hours and you put it up to that window to not cause too much flare back. You put it up to the window, you scan, you see something, you knock the window, you usually have a, a, a very low, uh, a low intensity tool that doesn't create a huge broken glass sound. You scrape it, you get in there and you get out. We're talking about seconds from the time that you make a recognition that something valuable is inside the vehicle to popping the window, to getting inside, grabbing it and going. We're having guns go on the streets. We're having goods go on the streets, medication go on the streets. This is going to be amplified so heavily during a time of increased social conflict that the population is going to have to shift their entire operating procedure. Now, from a prepper standpoint, we can consider ourselves already being in a form of SHTF. If you look back at 2016 through 2019, your economy today is nothing like what it was then. Your stability and uh, uh, sanctuary and safety today is nothing like what it was back then. And so your entire world has changed. A lot of us have basically gotten up with the times. We have increased our security. We have maybe purchased a little bit more self-defense goods. We have thought about more in our own pantry. We have started cooking from home more. We've made contingency plans in case we lose a job or lose a form of income. This is going to need to be brought up to that next level here in the next couple of months. And I hope that through this community and this uh, great people here that talk every day in the comments and what we deliver to you here, the tips that we deliver here, I hope that we help as many people as possible. The conclusion that was brought to the populace or the government by uh, other members running these wartime processes was that the U.S., will lose the conflict if it doesn't get ready to fight China immediately. So when we've seen Biden and we've seen the military say, yes, we're going to be there to back Taiwan, what they're going to do is to not need to basically kick the can down the road as soon as China actually moves, which you're already on the reactive curve. You've already uh, been beaten by the loop to some degree. You have to start to flip things over on China. And that's where I think we might start to see the use of things like EMP weapons. The USA is going to need to put China on the reactive. And so as soon as they recognize, because China right now is just flying these drills over and over again, and everybody watching, even the governments, besides their information gathering, their snooping, their spies, everything else, they don't know when that one flight that goes around is going to be the one that starts the war. And so they're going to need to make China on the reactive at that moment in time. That means they need to hit China hard so when we see this actually happen, you're going to see an immediate change in threat posture. You're going to see an immediate change in the military. And you're going to see the worldwide admission that World War III just started. The situation that is happening around Taiwan is a huge source of conflict. The risk of a military conflict there looms over the whole world. The amount of trade that goes through there is absolutely massive. Now you have the westernized international community calling on China to respect Taiwan's sovereignty. 
when you have China and the Eastern international community saying basically, F off America, F off Western allies. This is a Asian Pacific ordeal. The window of maximum danger, according to these drills for a potential Chinese invasion is started already. It's crucial, they say, that the U.S. and allies take action to deter the Chinese from being able to move forward. This will be, they warn, a major catastrophic conflict. I want to get to at least one viewer question today. It comes to us from VL Venture Works One. Is it possible to condition our bodies to get on the level of accepting water from, say, Mexico? Yes, it absolutely is. But a lot of people are lost to diarrhea disease, waterborne disease in the meantime. Now you're talking about, you know, how people who engage in like mushrooms or uh, some form of natural uh, you know, medicine, they do something called microdosing. There is an understanding that some ability of microdosing, especially while on a high, uh, high level antibiotic regimen, will allow the person to develop the gut bacteria and the natural immunity to the bacteria inside of uh, water that has normally uh, <coughs> unconditioned waterborne disease within it. Is it possible? Yes. Is it favorable? Absolutely not. You need to, if you think your water source has ever been tampered with, or you might go into an area that has a negative water source, you need to think about a water filter that is capable of taking out cryptosporidium and lots of the other bacteria and viruses and pathogens that can make you sick. Because when you're pooping your brains out or you are doubled over puking, you're going to have a real hard time staying on target. You're going to have a hard time cooking food for your children. You're going to have a hard time patching up somebody who has been hurt. So it's important that you take care of your water needs first. And it's real cheap and easy, and the opportunity exists today. Now, when you go in the, uh, in the middle room there and get me the Sawyer Mini that I have in my box. So a Sawyer Mini, you get it at somewhere like Walmart, Amazon, anywhere else, $20, plus or take inflation. So $23, $25 in some cases. It used to be $19.99. You could just get a massive amount of them sometimes for even cheaper. So it's very small. This is an unopened one because we use them in our camping dirt. Okay, just like that. So this is uh, very small, right? This is a Sawyer mini water filter system. It says the package includes a mini filter, a 16 ounce pouch, a drinking straw, a cleaning plunger. Here's the instructions. It's very easy. It filters up to 100,000 gallons of water. Now there should be an asterisk with this. There isn't. The asterisk should say, if you don't allow the pores to be too clogged, if you take care of the filter, if you don't let it freeze, but if you take care of it, it's going to take care of you. How it works, it says, the 0.1 micron absolute hollow filter membrane uh, houses a cluster of fibrous tubes. They say that these are used in medical dialysis. Water passes through the sidewalls. Harmful bacteria and protozoa are trapped in the outer, water, outer walls. It removes, according to them, 99.99, and it continues with a near-infinite amount of nines, bacteria, salmonella, cholera, and E. coli, protozoa, cryptosporidium, giardia. Uh, it exceeds EPA recommendations. It's versatile. How to use it? It says, fill it up, squeeze it, take care of it. Removes harmful pathogens during local boil water alerts. So for $20, 
you don't have to worry about how many people are going to die because they're trying to accustom their body to unsafe water sources for $20. Now you have to adhere to the rule, right? The rule of two is one and one is none. In fact, 16 is one and one is none. So if you are able to put $20 away for a prep, you get another one. You say, well, Brad, I already have two. You get another one. You're only going to live three days. You're only going to fight, okay? I'm gonna have people comment. They're gonna say, well, I heard of a person living five days without water. You're only going to fight for two days without water. By the third day, your liver is going to start shutting down. You're going to become extremely uh, dehydrated. And if you pee yellow today, and if you're thirsty today, you're already at 5% dehydrated. When your body gets to 15%, you die. So anybody who thinks they have water under enough control really needs to consider that they just need to do a little more. Be a hoarder. I don't care what they want to call you. Hoard Sawyer Mini water filters. I don't get paid by Sawyer. I'm just a water filter shill. I want you to survive that nasty India water, Mexico water, wherever you might find yourself, and I want you to get through what's coming. From my family to yours, please stay safe, remain vigilant, and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by you. It is not brought to us by Sawyer, but I hope you go out and buy one or get a Life Straw or whatever you feel comfortable. It's just they, this will filter so many gallons that I know I know how to take care of it, and so that's why I like it. Uh, it is brought to you by all of our members on Patreon. Check out patreon.com forward slash Full Spectrum Survival. We send out physical waterproof survival cards for people every single month. Also, if you're looking for antibiotics, check out...